Romans. All right. Maybe you guys remember we're in Romans, if you forgot. We're all the way in chapter 5. Uh, and if you haven't been with us, uh, Romans, you know, chapters 1 to 4, there's a lot in there. We've covered a lot of topics. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you've, if you've just arrived at this point in, in Romans, uh, that's good for you because uh, the first parts are very confronting towards us. Uh, this section, as we looked at two weeks ago, uh, and again today, and even a little bit next week, uh, is really positive. It's just kind of good news. Uh, literally, the, the, the 11 verses we're going to read, there's not a single command in it. I mean, when does that happen? When do you come to church and not get told to do anything? That's, this is rare, okay? Uh, you know, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, section, you know, and I don't know. I'm not big on titles, but I like this one. You know, I think Paul here is, is, is poking at something, you know, that, that you know, we, we, mankind, we love uh, affirmation even when we don't like to admit it, right? We have a love affair with it. We, there's something about positive affirmation. Uh, we crave it. Yeah. We hunger for it, you know? And, and uh, I don't know if, you, if you're on Facebook or Instagram, any of you guys, maybe not. Maybe, I don't know if you noticed. I certainly didn't. I read a news article, and then I noticed. Uh, Australia was one of seven countries that Instagram and Facebook trialed uh, the elimination of showing the number of likes your post has gotten. All right? Uh, you know, so when Scott travels to, to, to Broome, uh, you know, for a period of time, I'm not sure if it's still in effect, uh, but, but if a bunch of us liked it, uh, he wouldn't know how many people liked it unless he actually clicked on it and then, you know, went through and counted them up, which I'm sure Scotty wouldn't do, right? Uh, but, but the reason they, they began to do this uh, and trial this is, is because study after study by psychologists and sociologists uh, have shown that especially with young people and especially with uh, young girls, for those of you who have, who have, who have young girls, uh, that, that, that social media uh, in the speed of comparison of popularity and affirmation uh, you know, brings in or has, you know, I would like to say probably brought more to light uh, you know that 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 our human you know our human desire to to receive affirmation and, and then all the pitfalls when we don't get how many we think we should and then in the world that we live in of endless comparisons as we compare and see you know whether uh, Scott's you know trip to Broome got more likes than my trip to Adelaide you know and and, and he always does and you know because I always forget to actually post and um, you know but but how that you know how we can we can take that very personally and and you know I mean some of the the statistics are are shocking in terms of the increase uh, with the advent of social media and the increase of, of uh, depression anxiety and even suicide amongst young people is, is astronomical uh, you know and again I don't think it's a you know I think social media you know Facebook and Instagram I'm trying to figure out uh, you know the the uh, how to help limit this phenomenon but it's not the source of this phenomenon, right? I mean, we, we way, way before the days of the like button, we liked being liked, right? I mean, way before we could see the comparisons, uh, we would create comparisons. We would walk into a room and, 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 and make judgments on, on where do I fall in the pecking order, you know? And, and, and if we didn't fall where we think we would fall, there would be displeasure in our heart and anxiety in our heart. And, you know, but, but I think it, it reveals and it has maybe made uh, more plain and obvious something that, as I was saying here, has always been there. 
right? We, we as a people have an affinity for affirmation. We, uh, we like to be liked, right? And, and as we often are, we're stupid about how we go about doing that, you know? And, uh, you know, if you look at it this way, you know, I think a lot of times we, we uh, look for affirmation. Come on, keynote, right? Uh, we can fall into the trap of, of uh, buying into the, the again, it's been made mainstream in, in our modern world, but, you know, that, that self-affirmation, positive self-talk, uh, that that can be the cure, right? I mean, even this week, someone messaged me uh, their love of Tony Robbins, who's a famous self-help guru, and for $6,000, you can sit in a weekend seminar, and he'll tell you how you can tell yourself how awesome you are, right? And, and look, I'm not... I'm not bagging on Tony Robbins and, uh, or, or Tony Robbins uh, or, or Oprah, but I mean this this idea of uh, of self-affirmation being that that's what we need. Uh, it, it's shown wanting. It doesn't really uh, because even in our heart of hearts, even if we say it over and over to ourselves, uh, we all have that niggling suspicion that I'm not actually what I'm saying I am. Right? And if I say it 50 times while looking in the mirror, that doesn't change that reality that, you know what, there is part of me that has a shred of humility and realizes I'm not. I'm not that. Right? Uh, you know, and, 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 you know, sometimes because we realize maybe the self-affirmation doesn't work, uh, we, we get caught in this pursuit of trying to seek it in other people. Right? And, and wanting, you know, friends and family to constantly be affirming. Because, uh, again, we have this niggling suspicion that we're not actually that great, but if we hear it from a lot of people, then we kind of feel a little bit better, and maybe we listen to their voices more than we listen to our internal voices, and we get caught in this cycle that ultimately produces us as a chameleon, uh, you know, as we just kind of conform to whatever people think, uh, what we think they will like about us. And so we become more of that, thinking they'll like us more, and then the reality is people don't tend to like people who are chameleons, and something goes down, and, you know, you end up in, in, in a ditch of despair, Right. Amen? Everyone would be, it's a, you know, interesting things, right? And I, and I think one of the things Paul's doing here in Romans uh, is helping us to see that, that, you know, both of these are flawed in a sense, and what we need is affirmation from God. And trying to find affirmation in self is futile, you know? And again, if you haven't been with us, uh, read 1, 2, and 3 of Romans, and you'll see that self-affirmation, probably not a great call. Okay? You, you know, the reality is uh, the gospel message very much uh, confirms our greatest fears. And our greatest fear being we're not that good. We're not, we're not good people. None of us are perfect. None of us measure up, you know, and uh, that's an important realization. You know, even this week I had a Bible study with a young man and, uh, you know, I asked him, you know, you know, if, if, life, if, if life ended for you right now, where would you stand before your creator? And, and you know, like, oh, I think, I, you know, I don't know. He kind of hesitated, but he said, you know, I don't know. I've done a lot of good deeds. So I think I'll be all right. You know, and so then had him read Romans 3, 19 to 21, which bluntly says that no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. Uh, and I asked him what he thought about that passage, and he said, I think that what I just said is completely wrong. <laughs> you know, and that, but that realization is a painful one, but it's an important one. And the gospel does that to us, and Romans has done that to us. It has confirmed that niggling suspicion that we all have and that you were not good people. Right? And if you still think you are, you know, just come, come up afterwards. We can chat a little bit and we can look at some scriptures and, and you'll figure that out. Right? Uh, but the gospel doesn't just confirm that negative. It actually does also confirm a great positive. Yeah. You know, and it cures that, that, that endless pursuit of trying to feel okay about ourselves. But it, 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 it uh, cures it 
by not pointing you to yourself, not pointing your, you to your peers, but ultimately pushing you to God. And realizing that God and God alone can cure that, that the problem within us, which is sin and separation from our Creator. You know, and, and this passage is a phenomenal passage because it does, it gives us man, heaps of things that look, if you, uh, I think it's my next slide, right? But, but even there, verse 1, right? Therefore, it, since we have been justified through faith, uh, and then he's going to list all these things. But, but again, this is not for everyone. It's for those who have been justified by faith, through faith. But there's incredible things that we're going to look at, and incredibly positive, and incredibly edifying and building up. But, but they, there is, there, uh, the, it's not just like free given. Like you actually do have to admit, man, I, I'm, I'm lost. And I'm not the solution, Jesus is. And you've got to have a transfer of faith away from yourself into God and to God alone for these to become realities. Amen? Amen. So there's a long introduction. Let's read uh, Romans 5, 1 to 11 there. If you've got good vision, you can see it there. And we'll look at the, the, these six things and see if you pick them up as we go through it. Right? Paul starts there. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of our God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely would anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let's have a prayer, and then we'll look at, uh, look at these six things. Now, Father, we, we pray, God, that you help us this afternoon uh, to learn to, to steer our, our hunger and our thirst for, for affirmation you know, away from ourselves, uh, away from one another, God, and ultimately on you and you alone, God. But we pray you help us, God. Help us to... To, to, to see the beauty of what we have in Christ. Help us to, to stand in awe of, of the privileges that, that you bestow upon us, God, and, and help us, God, to, to never forget, God, that, that, that the means by which they have become ours, God, uh, has nothing to do with our goodness. That it's solely through the work of your Son on the cross, God. Again, we're grateful for that. We pray you be with us now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Awesome. So let's look at these six things. Uh, that we have, and I gave us a like button for each one just to, to keep us on task, right? So six things that, that, that Paul lays out uh, to remind us, look, in Christ, here is what you have. We have peace with God. We are standing, you know, we have access to stand in his grace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. We will be saved through Christ, and we boast or we rejoice in God, right? Six, six things here that, that he affirms, all right? So let's look at these a little bit more depth. Uh, you know, first being, we, we have 
peace with God. Right? We have peace with God through our, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Not, um, that, that, not, it's interesting the way he, 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 he phrases this, because peace is something we all want. Peace is something that mankind pursues. Uh, peace is something that the world is trying to figure out on every level of society. Between nations, between ethnicities, uh, between uh, socioeconomic statuses, uh, simply within families, uh, you know, and even in ourselves at times when life is hectic, we, we, we're pursuing peace. Uh, you know, and, and the Bible talks a lot about that peace, right? And, and Philippians is a great book that talks in depthly about it. Uh, but, but that's not the kind of peace ta- Paul is talking about here. He's saying, look, we have peace with God. Not, not peace in God. We do get peace in God, right? I mean, we, we can have a peace that transcends understanding, meaning, uh, you know, subjectively based on our circumstances, we can have peace even though things are chaos. Here, it's peace in the sense of the, the Hebrew concept of shalom, uh, which talking about this idea of, of two warring parties now, now united in harmony. Again, if, if you're not comfortable with that, that, that idea, again, we don't tend to like it. He'll, he'll highlight it again down in verse 10 of this chapter, that, that outside of Christ, we are enemies of God. We, we don't necessarily like that. Most of us, when we study the Bible, don't sit and think, oh, yeah, I'm God's enemy. Some people might. That, they can have that statement. Uh, they're closer to the truth sometimes than us religious people who look at it and think, I was not that bad. But from God's vantage point, if, we're, if we have not put our faith in Christ, we are, we are enemies with him. But Paul's saying, hey, look, understand what's happened. When God justified you, when he looked at you and he declared uh, you to be absolved of all your wrongs that you've ever committed. And when he takes, as we talked about two weeks ago, uh, all the righteous deeds of Jesus, and he says, hey, that's credited to your account. Okay? That radically changes your relational status with God. You now are no longer an enemy. But he actually brings you into his house. He considers you family. That hostility and enemy of us between you two is removed. That peace has come to, to, to our lives. You know, a reconciled relationship with him is the first thing that happens when we are justified. That's tremendously good news. Again, one that we maybe don't think very much about because we often don't think of ourselves as God's enemies. But man, when we pass from death to life, that status changed. And you're now no longer God's enemies, but at peace with him. Secondly here, he says that we are standing in grace, right? Chapter, chapter 5, verse 2, the first part of verse 2, yeah, it talks about you know, Jesus through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. You know? And he, Paul uses two verbs here in this sentence uh, to, to, to communicate this idea of, of, of where we stand with God, right? And, and the grace that we have. And, 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 and it's kind of an interesting uh, way he phrases it, right? I mean, we, we think gain access and I don't know about you, I, I think uh, like VIP access, right? Some of you guys are going to U2 later in the month, right? For some extra money, maybe you can buy a backstage pass and you can gain access, right? Uh, the, the Greek word that's translated here, gains, gain access, is more the idea uh, of, of, of you can be introduced. And it's a formal Greek word, uh, the idea of being introduced to someone at higher levels of society to you. Okay, uh, when I was growing up, um, my uh, my it's a long, complicated story. But anyways, I ended up living with this family, uh, who who the 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 son that the, that they had that was my age, uh, their, his grandfather uh, was Frank Borman, 
uh, one of the Apollo astronauts to win around the moon. Pretty cool, huh? You know, and, and, and I got to sit down and, and, and chat to the guy, which is kind of a cool thing. Now, now, if I would stop Frank Borman on the street, he wouldn't probably stop. He would just keep walking, right? But because I had a, a, a relationship with you know, his grandson, all of a sudden I had access to this guy, right? And not just this guy, his, my, my buddy's uncle was Mike Krzyzewski, or still is Mike Krzyzewski, the, the coach of Duke, Duke basketball and also USA basketball. And, and, and I'm not a huge basketball fan, some of you guys like basketball. And, and, and I would hang out with him sometimes and he would bring along like Mike Dunleavy, who plays in the NBA, or Shane Battier. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, pretty cool guys if you're into basketball, right? If I stopped Mike Dunleavy on the street, he, he wouldn't even know who I am. But again, because of the relationship, all of a sudden I have access to someone that, man, wouldn't give me the time of day. And, and Paul's saying, look, you know, through Jesus, you, you have access. You have a relationship on the inside now. And he, 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 that relationship can, can open doors for you. You, you, can, you can enter the throne room of God. You can approach that throne of grace, Hebrews 4, with confidence. Not nervously like, am I going to be accepted? No, no, no. You have a relationship that opens up the door. So you can be with God. And then he says that, that, that we've gained access by faith into this grace which we now stand. So it's not even like the, just the entry into it, which is awesome. Uh, but it's also this idea of you can stay. Right? You know, I mean, you think, you think about a privileged position. You know, you guys going to see you too. Uh, the equivalent of that would be, you know, you, 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 you know somebody who knows somebody and they get you some time to hang out with you too behind stage before they go on, on and perform. I mean, this idea here of, of that you now stand, it means your position is permanent. It's like they add you into the band. You have a permanent position. And we can understand our relationship with God that, that what's happened through Jesus is you have gained access to, to, to the Holy of Holies. And it's not just, you know, like it's like a one-time thing that when you're having a great quiet time and you're in. No, no, no. Permanent position is what Paul is saying here. I mean, Paul later on in Romans 8 is going to go through and say, look, you've got to understand that, you know, there's a whole list of nothing can separate us from God. Incredible opportunity. It's given to us through faith. Right? Thirdly here, he says that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. I don't, I don't know about you, but when I hear hope a lot of times, I think of like, you know, wishful thinking. You know, my kids love chucking coins into the, the wishing wells, right? Uh, you know, I always have a hard time with it. I think, let's go, let's go. Grab some coins out of the wishing well. I had a good friend that did that, and he got arrested for that. <laughs> Apparently, that's not a good idea, uh, you know, and they don't, they don't look at it. But it's, there's a lot of money down there, you know. But, but sometimes we can, we can hear hope, because the English translation of hope is kind of like that, this wishful thinking, you know. And, uh, you know, and, and we, we can even look at biblical hope in that sense of kind of wishful thinking. Okay, I, you know, okay, I'm, 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 I'm fairly convinced God is God, and... I hope that's true. I hope I've put my, my hope in the right place. He, he, Greek thought, Greek, Greek language, hope is, is, is more about conviction. This is a certain thing. This is a sure thing. This is not, 
uh, chucking a gold coin in, in, in the well. This is not, you know, m you know, making a wish on a shooting star. It's not that fit. It's, it's, it's certainty, right? New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says, Hope for the Christian is not wishful thinking or mere blind optimism. It is a mode of knowing, it is a mode of knowing a mode within which new things are possible, options are shut down, new creation can happen. And what Indy Wright's saying is that, that it, it's, it's a shift in how we see the world. And that we know that the present realities that we see, that's not necessarily just, that's not long term. The realities, right? I mean, right now, God's invisible, but there's going to come a day where faith becomes sight. Right now, it seems as if God, for most of the world, doesn't matter, carries no weight, which is, that's what that word glory means. But, but there's going to come a day when, when something as uh, foundational in our lives as the sky is rolled back like a scroll. I mean, think about that moment. I mean, a sky, a permanent fixture from the day you're born to the day you die is, is, is going to be rolled back like that. And, and God revealed. Matter. What really matters is God at that point. And, and man, we put our hope in a lot less things than the sky. We put our hope in way more unstable things. Yeah. And, and Paul said, look, in, in, in Christ, we, we can boast in this. This is a certain thing. This is actually something that's worthy to, to have some pride behind. The glory of God. You know, and you look at what Paul's done here in these first three affirmations of what we have in Christ. He, he's covered our past. In the past, you're an enemy. Now you're not. In the past, you, you, you were at odds with God. Now you are in his family. Right? In, in the present, you are standing in grace. You have access to, to, to the Father, to the throne room in heaven. Uh, and, and that is your present reality day in and day out. Right? And then thirdly, he goes after our future. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God when that is revealed. And he's covering all aspects of our lives. The past, the present, and the future. Saying, hey, look, this is what you have. Again, affirming to us. And if we have all these privileges, why the heck do we care what other people think about us? If that is what God is saying, hey, here's how I see things. Why in the world do we get flustered when we mess up? I mean, really, if these are true, nothing else matters. And we've talked a lot about this because Paul, especially in his letters, you know, a couple years ago we did First and Second Corinthians. I mean, Paul has this, this freedom from caring about, you know, his own circumstances, what other people think about him, even what himself cares about him. Well, that's because he was deeply convinced of the realities he has in Christ. And all these other things, they don't, they don't really matter. And you think about your life, you think about, I mean, I, mean, I think about, man, I did so many stupid things simply wanting other people to like me. But it doesn't really matter. I mean, if God has given me that, when I was at my worst, nothing else really matters. Right? And he doesn't stop. He keeps going. He tells us, look, you can rejoice in your sufferings now. Because of these realities that we have, we, we can have a posture of, of joy even when things go really badly. You know, and, and his logic here, you know, is, is, a, is a familiar one you see in Scripture. Uh, that we can, we can glory, again, glory, rejoice, boasting, all translating the same word, right? Uh, so we can glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope, 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the, through, through the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Uh, and, and again, if you've been a Christian a while, it, or even if you're here when we did James, you, you understand this. That, that as, as Christians, we don't have to be like the Stoic philosophy, you know, if you've ever studied Stoic philosophy. Maybe not, right? But their idea was just, you know, grit through hard times by your willpower. Right? I, I call it white-knuckle Christianity. We just kind of, by our own strength, we try to get through things. That, that's not what Paul's saying. Right? He, Paul is saying, look, as Christians, we can look beyond it. We can look beyond suffering. We can look beyond hardship. We can look beyond literally the, the word he uses there is tribulations, which means pressures. We can look beyond the pressures of life as a disciple because we know God has a purpose. God has a plan. We talk about it a lot. We're not often privy to that plan. He doesn't bring us in on it. Book of Job kind of confronts us with that dark reality that there are things happening in the universe that, you know what, is, is above our pay grade, and God doesn't always involve us in his grand plan. But we can know that it has a purpose. That purpose is often changing us. Again, we, we like to change circumstances. God says, no, we change us. This is a modern-day, you know, philosophical error, I think, of our times, well, we think we can conform reality to self when most of the people for history thought, no, self needs to change, right? And we, that's why we try to eliminate and we just try to fill our lives with, we eliminate sufferings and try to fill our lives with comfort because we think that the circumstances in life needs to change to suit us. When for, you know, most, most of the history of mankind, uh, people understood the opposite. No, no, we need to change. And we need to see, especially Western world, man, this pursuit of, of comfort as a, as a chief end, it actually leaves you pretty wanting. I mean, the depression, anxiety, as, as I mentioned earlier, suicide rates in the Western world are, 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 are statistically way beyond the rest of the world's. And us in our enlightened state, maybe we have actually some things fundamentally wrong. And, and, and Paul here has more traditional viewpoint on suffering is that, man, Christian belief allows you to look beyond it, to look through it, to understand even if circumstances are not going your way and even if God doesn't change those circumstances to make your life different, he is going to change you. And he's going to accomplish works in you uh, that are going to make you different, not necessarily changing uh, or making a difference in your life, right? And, and how do we know that? Right? How can we have that confidence? How can we rejoice and, and be so sure, sure about that? And, and that's, that's what he goes into there in verses 6 through 8. You know, that, 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 that at just the right time, we're still powerless. Christ died for us. Right? Down there in verse 8, very famous verse, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Demonstrate is a weak word. It's more prove. Prove. You want to know why you can rejoice in your sufferings? You want to know why you can boast in that? You, want, you don't want to know why you can have a certainty that there is a greater plan afoot? It's because of God's love for you. And as a Christian, you have no reason to doubt God's love for you. Because when you were at your stinking worst, He died for you. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? And if He loves you that much, for sure, in His sovereignty, He has a greater purpose and a plan that He's going to accomplish in your life. And He's going to use suffering to do that. But we can rejoice when we know those things. And we can boast even in the hard times. 
Because we know that they ultimately will not destroy us. Amen? Fifth. Fifth kind of incredibly good news, right? Uh, that we will be saved through Christ. <laughs> that even if this life is marked by suffering, by pressures that, that come from being a Christian. That's what we just talked about, right? He's saying, look, in the end, you're going to be saved. Right? And, and that's the whole, the whole line of his reasoning, right? Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Paul, Paul's argument here is, look, we, we fear death. We all do, right? And, and he's saying, look at the gospel. I mean, if when you were an enemy, God did that. Now you're not an enemy. You're his family. But if as an enemy, that's what God did for you. Now you've been reconciled. Now you have peace. How much more is he going to look after you? And how much more confidence can you have? Right? Uh, I always thought this was funny with my kids. You know, they, they, uh, I would try to get them to jump off stuff and, you know, tell them I'll catch you. Right? You know, kids are kind of like skeptical a little bit. Maybe they're not just my kids are skeptical of me, right? But you know, you I mean you try to reassure them. You think, I haven't dropped you this week. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, I've never dropped them, right? But we, we, we do that at times to, to reassure, right? Look at the relationship. I love you. Of course I'm going to look after you. Of course I'm going to catch you. Of course I'm going to help you when you fall. The nature of our relationship. That's what Paul's saying here, Luke. We've got to understand that if we were in his enemies, he did that. How much more can we have confidence as Christians that even if the world throws its worst at you and snuffs out your life, God's going to save you. God's going to rescue you. It's an incredible thought. And as Hebrews tells us, the beginning of Hebrews tells us, look at that thought should free us from the slavery to fear that often controls us. Because if death has been conquered, fear really is gone. It's really, it's out the window. You know, I, earlier this year we had a young, young, young woman get baptized and her, she was petrified that her parents would just be against her becoming a disciple. And she was gripped by fear and, you know, week after week it was like, I want to do it, but I don't want to talk to my parents. I want to do it, but I don't want to talk to my parents. You know, and then one midweek I had a conversation where I was like, really, come on, you think about this. I mean, worst case scenario. And I don't think she thought I was going to go there with this. But I was like, honestly, Mel, worst case scenario is they kill you. <laughs> I mean, really? What's the worst they could do? I mean, they could, they could kill you. You know, and, you know, I don't know. I would say Christian thought, you know, and there was periods of time like that in the first three centuries of Christianity that people, you know, potentially getting baptized and converting, uh, their family members would kill them. And the early church viewed that as being baptized in your own blood. And they considered you actually to have a better treasure in heaven as a byproduct of that. You know, and so I tried to reassure her with that reality. I don't know if it worked. I don't, I don't think it did, you know. But, but that's kind of the point Paul is making here. Amen. Uh, and, and lastly, and interesting enough, you know, Paul says here, uh, you know, that, that we boast in God. And, and if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks and maybe you've been paying close attention, you've noticed that boasting has been in Paul's crosshairs all along the way. Right? All the way back to, to chapter 2, verse 17. And, and this is a rebuke towards religious people. He says, now, if you, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you really rely on the law and boast in God. Grammatically, he is saying this, the same sentence here. He rebuked them 
for boasting in God. And he's saying now, boast in God. It's very interesting. Because how they're using boasting was very different. The Jews, you know, and the religious people of Paul's day were, were very similar to the religious people of our day. God was something to be used in order to feel better about self. So God was a tool in terms of self-affirmation. And they would point to their good deeds and their, their, their uh, you know, religious successes. And that would all be, you know, fuel for feeling good and for crediting to their account. And therefore, I am what I am. Aren't I awesome? And so their boasting was an attempt to use God. But, but at this point in, in chapter 5, Paul's going through Romans, that reality has, has been poured out. It's gone. There's no, way, no, there's no way you read Romans 1, 2, and 3 and think, I have any ground to boast. I mean, literally, you know, midway through Romans chapter 3, he says, Paul said, where then is the boasting? And, and the correct answer is, I've got none. I've got none. And it's at that point, because that pride in our hearts has been done away with, that we can then actually boast in God. Because there's a purity about it. There's a purity about man. I, I'm part of God's family. And it's not because I'm special. It's not because of my quiet time track record. It's not my church attendance. It's not my fruitfulness in, in reaching out to people who are Bible field. None of that matters, actually. Nothing of who I am or the confidence in self that I may have has anything to do with those things. All that type of boasting is useless. But once we've poured out all that pride, there is this confidence. This unshakable confidence. But you know what? I am what I am. I stand part of God's family. And I have access to God. And God has poured His Spirit into my heart. And He has proven to me the depth of His love for me. And I'm confident in my relation with him. Nothing to do with self. Everything to do with him. But Paul, over and over and over and over again in these 11 verses, is trying to give us cause for affirmation. He's trying to remind the disciples of what they have in Christ Jesus. But man, if you're not a disciple, you can look at that and think, that sounds great, but that's not yours. If you ever put your faith in that status, that privileged position is not yours until you have been born again. And for those of you that have been born again, don't go back to the old life. Don't look for it in your self-help mantra. Don't look for it in, 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 the, in the people around you accepting you and liking you. If you're following Jesus, they're not going to like you. And if they do like you, Jesus says, hey, you actually got to wake up a little bit because maybe you're not actually following Jesus if everyone likes you. Woe to you if all men speak well of you, right? And that's how they treat the false prophets. You know, but, but man, you've got to realize that as Christians, we have incredible privileges. You know, privilege after privilege is put before us. The position we have in Christ. Man, it changes that. Changes on the inside. You radically eradicate the pride itself and enable us to have relationships across the board. Enable us to, to connect with people on a deeper level. Uh, you know, that, that, that aren't like us. It should level everything we, we try to use to find our, our place in the social banking order. It eliminates it. Because everything we have is amazing, but everything we have comes from Christ. Let's have a prayer and then we'll stand together and sing one part song. Father, we, uh, you know, we thank you, God. We, we thank you for the many blessings, God, that we have in, in, in Christ. 
How would we know we are undeserving of these things we just looked at? God, we are, we 